So some of you look like you need a smile, okay? So I got joke of the day. Here it is. You ready? Some old, 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 old guy told me this joke, and I thought I was going to die. I said, this is going in my repertoire of corny dad jokes to embarrass my children. And so here it is. You ready? So what did the dad buffalo say to his son as he was leaving for school? Bye, son. When I say that old man was telling me, he was actually telling these two ladies, I think he was trying to flirt with them, but um, he, he told these two ladies this, and they both looked at him like he was the dumbest person they ever said. So when they laughed, I was in a surprise bookstore, and so when they laughed, I said, that was the funniest joke I've heard in so long. I said, I just don't think they got it. And so some of y'all that didn't think it was funny might get it later, and, um, but... <clears throat> Isn't it good to smile? It's okay to smile. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to have, to have fun. And uh, life, is, life is short. And so um, we've been talking about the subject of love. We've been talking about um, uh, all of the elements of love and uh, the different things the Bible says about love. But t- this morning I want to talk about really where the rubber meets the road and uh, when it comes right down to it, the choice to love. Because love is a choice. If we don't get that aspect of it, and we don't understand uh, that element of it, then it's all useless. You see, a lot of times people will have a head knowledge of something, uh, but if they ever put that head knowledge into action, if that head knowledge never gets to the heart then it never gets to the feet, it never gets to the, to the hands, it never gets to the mouth. It just stays up in the head. So just to have a head knowledge of something helps us none. So we can know all about love, and we can sing about love, and we can preach about love, and we can have poems about love, and we can, we can do all these things about love, but if we don't put it into action, then what good is it? And so love is a choice. Now, that is not a... Uh, that is not a um, something that the world says, but it's something that the Bible says, that love is a choice. Too often people fall in and out of love. I'm not even really sure exactly what that means, falling in and falling out of love. And, and I just, I, I don't know, preacher, I married her and then I fell out of love with her. Well, you better trip and fall back in love with her uh, because you chose to marry her. See, life's a choice, right? We choose uh, to love. We choose to hate. We choose to be happy. We choose to be angry. No, you don't, you don't understand, preacher. All the circumstances. You know, see, we blame so much stuff on circumstances. You know, and I'm not saying circumstances don't contribute to how we feel. I'm not saying that things, you know, sometimes it's a gloomy day out, and sometimes when it's a gloomy day out, it can put a hamper on your mood. You ever, you ever notice that? But here's the bottom line. You can blame the weather. You can blame your parents, your upbringing. You can blame your church. You can blame your preacher. Go ahead. It, you, everybody else does. Just blame the preacher. I mean, you blame the deacon. You can blame whoever you want to, but the, where the rubber meets the road, we choose to act and react the way we do. 
It's a choice. Well, I don't, I don't have a choice. Yes, you do. Because you have this thing called free will. Now, sometimes it's tough. I'm not, I'm not making light of it. Sometimes it's difficult. I'm reading right now a, 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 a biography of uh, Fanny Kelly. Never heard of her before and saw it in the store. It was 50 cents. And I said, man, I'm going to look at that. And it was 1800s, Midwest. And her and her daughter uh, were captured by uh, a Sioux tribe of Indians. And um, she was in captivity for four or five months. She was, she was held captive. And um, this is her life story. And, you know, I find it interesting how different people react differently to different circumstances in different situations. Have you found this to be true? Because I have in life. Life is really about perspective. You can always find, always find somebody that has it worse off than you do. Always. Whether that's financially or emotionally or, or physically or however it is, we can always find people that are worse off than we are. If you can't, come see me and I'll point you in the right direction. Because I promise you, there are people in this world that are far worse than you are. In by and by, you don't have to go over to some third world country to find them either. Some people have it tough. Now, I'm not making light of what you're going through or what you've been through. But I think that we go through things on purpose. I think God brings us through things on purpose. So either what's happened or what's happening in your life is because of your life choices, which usually they are, or they're just by happenstance. But either way, God allows them, even if He doesn't cause them, He allows them in your life for a purpose, to make us stronger. You know, I wish we could learn lessons in good times, but often we need difficult times to learn lessons. We need times of suffering to learn lessons in our lives. Our country is proof of that. I mean, good night. You, you think that, you know, God is, you know, yelling with a blowhorn for us to be listening, and we didn't, it's like we're in left field somewhere. You ever talk to somebody? Have you ever tried to have a conversation with somebody who does not wish to have a conversation with you? That might be a, one of your kids or your spouse or... And they're off in left field somewhere and you're talking to them. You, get, you have this whole conversation and then they look at you and say, huh? <laughs> what do you want to do? You just want to kiss them on the forehead and say, God bless you. No, you want to you know, drag them through the mud and say, are you listening to... Turn off the television. Turn off the radio. Put the book down. Are you paying attention to me? Are you listening to me? Sometimes I think God's in heaven going, are you listening? Are you paying attention to what I am saying to you? God has been clear in His Word. It's not up in the air. God has been clear. God is clear in His Word. Now, I want you to know, there are some things in life, we would call them gray areas, right? They're open for interpretation. But can I tell you, when it comes to God's Word, it's not open for interpretation. God has interpreted it. He's told us, this is what I want you to do. You have a choice. You have a decision. 
You can choose to listen to God and do what He says, or you can choose to go your own way. I mean, you can choose to, to, to go and do what God says to do, or you can choose to be a Jonah and go in the opposite direction. God gives you that choice. God has not made us robots. God has given us free will. Free will is a good thing, but free will has gotten us in the mess that we're in today. Because God doesn't put us in a headlock and make us make decisions. God says, this is what I want you to do. Now go do it. And it's your choice. Love is one of those things that God has told us to do. This is not open for some kind of interpretation or what you think of it. God tells us to love. God says, I love. Now I want you to go love. It's a choice. It's a decision you must make. Now, we've said it a million times. I'll say it a million more. Some people are easier to love than others. That's just a fact. We can make believe or make pretend that, that doesn't, that's not true, but it really is. And we all know it. But God doesn't say... Well, if they're easy to love, then love them. Those that are hard to love, just kick them to the curb. I've not found that yet. I've searched and I've looked and I've researched, but I've never found it. Because God says what? We ought to love people like I love you. How does God love you? Well, goodness. What is one of the most famous verses in all the Word of God? I mean, lost people know John 3.16, right? And it's probably uh, uh, one of the most used verses. I I believe Old Testament, Psalm 23, New Testament, John 3.16 are are some of the most used verses in the Word of God. But sometimes uh, they're misunderstood verses in the Word of God. Look what he says, John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we stop. Sometimes I think that we're looking for an answer. We find the answer we want, and then we stop because we're afraid something might change. We stop because there might be more. If you have a study Bible and in, 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 in your Bible, words are in red. That means those words are Jesus' spoken words. Now, some people don't like, and I never knew this existed, but there is an entire group of people that do not like red-letter Bibles. And the reason they don't like red-letter Bibles is because they said Jesus spoke all of the Word of God. So... But these are Jesus' actual spoken words when he was in his earthly ministry. So it keeps going in verse 17. It doesn't stop. The next verse is 17. For God sent sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. 
But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are raw in God. So what is God saying here? God's saying, listen, I love the world. Not this oblong-shaped earth that we're spinning on. I love the world means people. God loves people. And so, because I loved you and I gave myself for you, now I want you to know that your deeds towards other matter. What you do with that love that I loved you with makes a difference. How shall men know that we are, that we are His disciples? You know, God could have said a lot of things there, couldn't He? But what did He say? He said, by our love, one towards another. You see, the way we treat each other does matter. The way we talk to each other does matter. The way we respect each other does matter. The problem is, we're stingy. We want love, but we want to withhold love. Now, we want love. I mean, who doesn't want the love of God, right? Who doesn't want God's love in their life? And praise the Lord, we receive God's love. But then, we act like a bunch of fools when it comes to the way we treat each other. How in the world are you ever going to love somebody that's in the world if you can't love somebody that's in the church? You're not going to be able to. If we can't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're never going to make our works manifest in this world. That's what it's all about. God has loved us so that we too can go out and show the love of God to other people. But we're mean, spirited. We scream and holler. We use language we shouldn't use. This guy, I thought it was, he told me this, he told me this joke, this, this bison joke. I, I loved it. I, I, I I'll, I'll, some, some things I don't remember, some things I'll always remember. He told me this joke, and then he was telling me that he was looking for a place to serve the Lord. Because the Lord has really been good to him. And the Lord's really watched over him. He's probably in his mid-80s, upper 80s maybe. He goes into the bookstore, like, all the time. He doesn't ever buy anything in the bookstore. He just goes in the bookstore and talks to people as they come in and uh, you get trapped and get to talking to him and he's talking about how much he wants to serve the Lord and do I know and they know who I am in the bookstore and they said oh here's I think he was just trying to get him to stop talking to him and start talking to me but whatever and so he said here's here's Pastor Joe he can he can help you and so I talked to him for a little while gave him some uh, um, you know possibilities where he could serve and help I told him about the man of house and la la and so I was, I was about to leave, and I was looking at a, a certain section at the door, and he turned around, started talking to another, I mean, he just bounces from person to person. And man, I mean, it was one cuss word after another. And I'm thinking to myself, you ain't five steps from the conversation you just had with me, 
about serving the Lord and about how God's been good to you, and now you're, you know, you know, bleep this and bleep that, and I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? But now you know I'm understanding? It's becoming more common in our world today. As we, of course, I asked him about church, and, you know, there's really, you know, no good church. No church good enough. I'm thinking to myself, he just told you I was a pastor. You just completely insulted, you know, me and my church by telling me there's no church in Effingham County that you can go to. Because we have in our minds, and this is what the example it gave me, we have in our minds, God has been good to me, and He loves me, but, you know, I don't have to reciprocate. I don't have to act accordingly. And unfortunately, that seeped into the church. And unfortunately, there's been wedges that have been that have been put between God's people. And if, and if God's people can't get along, you, you shouldn't have to wonder why we're in the fix or, or the mess we're in in our world today. Choose. Make a decision. Don't base your decision on your circumstances. Because sometimes your circumstances are great, and sometimes your circumstances stink. Is that true? Of course it's true. You go on vacation, you almost never have a care in the world, right? You're on vacation, and man, you're, you're eating out. If you're on vacation at the beach, you're, you're laying out on the beach, and man, it's just great. And then vacation's over? And you got to come back to reality. Right? You got to come back to work. You got to come back to relationships. You got to come back to church. You got to come back to whatever it is and face whatever it is that you left when you went on vacation. Are they the same? No. Because in life, there are mountaintop experiences and there are valley experiences. It's just, it's just part of life. And the God that is on the mountaintop that you've received the blessings from, and man, you just, you ever met somebody that's just in a good mood? You can't smack the smile off their face. Sometimes you want to, you know, because you're in a bad mood, and they're just smiling about everything, and boy, they're just, they're just happy, and, and you're just like, you just, because when you're grumpy, you want everybody else to be grumpy. And then sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's unfair. Sometimes things happen that weren't expected to happen. And the God that was up on the mountaintop hasn't changed. You see, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the same yesterday and today and forever. So, though you have changed from being on the mountaintop to now being in the valley or somewhere in between, God hasn't changed. The God that was on the mountaintop is still God in the valley. And He's the same God. He's not changed. See, this idea of looking for happiness. You hear that more and more today. Well, you know what? I'm just unhappy. I'm unhappy with my job. I'm unhappy with my relationships. I'm unhappy with my church. I'm unhappy with my family. I'm unhappy, I'm unhappy, I'm unhappy. 
Do you know why people are unhappy? Because they base their life on the happenstances of life. Things are good, got money in the bank, you're happy. Things aren't so good, I mean, you, can't, you don't even have two nickels to, to, to rub together, you can't go out to eat, you can't do nothing because you, you're waiting for the next paycheck to come in, and man, you, guess what? Your circumstances have changed. So guess what happens? A lot of times your happiness changes. You see, for the Christian, it has nothing to do with happiness, it has everything to do with joy. There's a difference. You see, joy isn't based on our circumstances or the happenstances of life. Joy is based on Jesus. Jesus never changes, therefore, joy never changes. The only way for you to lose your joy, now get this, the only way for you to lose your joy is to give it away. I've seen him do it. Matter of fact, David prayed this prayer, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He didn't say restore unto me my salvation. He said restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And so often we've lost that joy and so often we claim to be unhappy, but guess what? Let me tell you something about happiness. A different relationship, a different job, a different church, a different family isn't going to make you happy. That's not what makes us happy. Having more money in the bank doesn't make us more happy. Now, it might bring a smile to our face every once in a while, but let me tell you something. Have you ever done the research? I have. Do a research on people that have won the lottery. I'm talking about the, the, big, the big show. Tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Over and over and over again, this is what I hear. And this is what I read. I wish I could give it back. I'd like to write them and say, you can give it to me. I mean, you don't have to give it back to them. We think, you know why? We think money can change everything. If I just had more money. And you know what? Sometimes... And God gives us more money and nothing changes. You know why? Because we want more. And the house we're living in is not big enough. The car we're driving is not new enough. You know what the problem is? Let me tell you the problem. It's really clear. It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. I know some of these multimillionaires and these you know, football players and basketball players and all these people that, Hollywood people that, I got all this money. Living in 25,000 square foot homes. Who in the world needs a 25,000 square foot home? I mean, they got bowling alleys and movie theaters and all this stuff in their home. And let me tell you something, they're miserable. Going from one relationship to another in and out of jail and all this other stuff that's going on with them. I mean, what are they? They are unhappy and they're rich as can be. It's because the riches of this world can't make you happy. Can't make you happy. If you come to this church and you're unhappy, when you leave this church, you're probably going to continue to be unhappy. This is... It's nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do with your heart 
toward the Lord. We need to have joy in our lives. We need to have love in our lives. And when that love permeates our life, and when that love, I think of, I think of Peter. You remember, remember Peter was in the line with the disciples? And Jesus girded himself, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. And he gets down to Peter. Whoa, whoa, but I understand. I understand where Peter comes from. No, 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 Lord. I, you shouldn't be washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. And Jesus tells Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have, you have no part in me. Peter said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute, change my mind. Start at the top of my head and go all the way down to the tips of my toes. You know what God wants to do? He wants to, he wants to envelope you with love. He wants to, he wants to, he wants to surround your life with love so that you might make a difference in somebody else's life. People are going through hard times. You ever thought about this? You ever thought about that waitress? She's, she refuses to bring you another drink. That's my pet peeve, man. I'm telling you, just leave me a pitcher. I, 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 I drink a lot when I eat. So just, but they don't bring you any drink. I mean, you walk by your table. I mean, they're short with you. They get your order wrong. I mean, what do we do? You know what we often do? We often lash out at the person. And that person could be having an absolutely terrible, difficult week, month, year. We don't consider them. Why? Because we can only consider ourselves. We're selfish. And we want to withhold love from other people because of circumstances, but we don't want God to withhold love from us because of circumstances. You see, if God withheld love from us because of circumstances, we would be unloved. You want to know why we'd be unloved? Because we're unlovely. And we're unlovable. And yet God loves us still. And yet God loves us in spite of our actions. In spite of how we act and react. I often think about people and I often think about myself and I often think, why is God not just... If God had the patience that you and I had, we would be in trouble. We'd be in trouble. What did Peter say? When God started talking about forgiveness, he thought he was real spiritual, didn't he? Seven times, Lord? By the way, we're talking about the same offense from the same person. In my book, seven times is pretty spiritual. Somebody does the same thing to you seven times in a row, and you forgive them? Pretty spiritual, in my opinion. So before you give Peter a hard time, have you forgiven somebody that many times? But Jesus said not seven times, but 70 times seven. And people quickly be like, okay, 490 times, you missed it completely. Completely. What does God say? We ought to have an attitude of forgiveness. I, I love this statement. One lady wrote this. Unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Think about that. Unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. I'm telling you, 
We have got to be examples of the believer. We have got to be who God has called us to be and who God means us to be. And part of that means to choose to love. We need to love. Who do we need to love? Number one, we need to love the Savior. We need to love the Savior, Jesus Christ. John 3.16 died for your sin. He died for my sin. He died for the sins of the world. He took your place. He became your uh, propitiation. He became your reconciler. You had no chance to get back to God. None. Outside of Jesus Christ, you have no hope. So what did Jesus do? He came and he died. Not for his sin. He was without sin. He died for your sin and for mine. And he became our Savior. And we need to remember that and love him every day. I tell my children, listen to me, you have lived, you ask them, I tell them all the time, you have lived prince and princesses love, uh, uh, lives in your, in your life. Prince and princesses. I mean, the, the first time they think they have hardship, I light them up. Oh, you shouldn't. Well, listen, listen to me. My kids have had it good. I mean, my kids have had it really good. And whose fault is that? That's, that's our fault. I'm not saying that it's their fault. I'm saying it's our fault. And we have, we have given them and we have given... So, one, you, know what I've, you know what I've equaled that with? I've equaled that with telling them. Let me tell you something. Life's not fair. Be ready. You're going to face things. I told Anna the other day, we were talking about something uh, that she was facing there at, at college. And I said, I said listen, Anna... It's the it's welcome to the real world. And it said, by the way, just let me clue you in on something. She's like, yeah, thanks, Dad. She, I said, let me clue you in on something. You're not even in the real world yet. You're secluded in a private Bible college with a bunch of people that are saved. I said, so multiply what you're going through by five million, and then you're going to be facing it. Oh, my goodness, you should. You know what? They need to understand. I tell young people that sit in front of me that are going to get married, I said, let me tell you something. He ain't the prince you think he is. Ask anybody that I've ever done marriage counsel with. I'm tell, I tell them every single time. If you think for one second that she's Cinderella, <laughs> let me tell you what I really know about her. Let me tell you what I really know about him. Let me tell you what, he's going to be a jerk. No, I'll no, I'll never. Oh, shut up! <laughs> I, I, I'm not asking you. I already know. I don't. I don't ever say shut up. But I said, listen, this is this is reality. It's not all about you know uh, 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 castles and princes and princesses and you know saving saving people from. No, listen, we're just going to live on love. Smack you want to smack them, right? You don't even know what love is. You, this is what you want to tell them. You want to tell you got to be. A little easy anyways with them. But gee, you know, you want reality check, folks. Life is difficult. Life is hard. But that doesn't mean we're not supposed to love. And when we go through these problems, we go through these hardships, we need to re- be reminded and we need to remember that God has brought us through. That God has been good to us. That God has showered us with blessings. And we need to love Him. When the going get tough, the tough need to get going and love each other and love the Savior. We need to love Him. 
this morning. I'm just going to give them to you real quick. Number one, we need to love him fully. Psalm 119 and verse 10, if you're taking notes, we need to love him fully. We need to love him faithfully. Psalm 55 and verse 17. Up and down, thick and thin. We need to love the Savior. We need to love him faithfully. And then we need to love him fearfully. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. We need to love Him fearfully. What does that mean? It means with reverence. With reverence. God deserves our praise. God deserves our love towards Him. And we need to love Him fearfully, reverently in our lives. Then we need to love the saints. We need to love the saints. In John chapter 13, just to alluded to this verse uh, uh, earlier uh, when we were talking about loving each other. In, in, in John chapter 13, in verse 34, New commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, and ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. We need to love the saints. We need to love them as family. We are part of the family of God. Does family disagree? Yes. But guess what? They're still family. This idea of hating your family has is, is, is got to stop. We don't hate our brothers and sisters. i tell you something. We grew up, me and my sisters grew up rough. Man, we grew up... Basically, you'd, you'd think, you looked at me and my sisters, we hated each other. We'd call each other names, we'd fight all the time. But let me tell you something, if you ever said something about my sister, I don't think so. Those were fighting words. You did something against my sister? Oh, I don't think so. And vice versa, why? Because of family. And this idea that we talk about each other, and this idea that we, that we, that we, that we bike bat bike against each other is a bunch of nonsense and God says it ought not go on in the family of God. We ought to love the saints as family. Philemon 1 and 1. We ought to love the saints as followers. We're, we're followers of God. Ephesians 5 and verse 1. And as followers of God, we ought to be united together getting the job done. Loving each other. Making a difference in each other. Other's lives and love the saints as fellow laborers. First Thessalonians 3 and verse number 2. As fellow laborers. There's a job to be done. It's unfortunate we are often distracted from the job that needs to be done because we can't get along. Because we fight and we argue and we gossip and all these things that, by the way, God calls corrupt communication. You see, we think of corrupt communication. The very first time I ever read that verse, when the Bible talks about corrupt communication, I thought about cuss words. Cuss words are corrupt communication. But you know, as I begin to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, I realized that, that Christians don't cuss. But that don't mean they don't have corrupt communication. Well, I say Christians don't cuss. I guess that was a pretty wide general 
Most Christians that I know don't. But you know, they gossip. They talk about each other. And they get angry with each other. There's a lot more to corrupt communication than just the foul language that we use. So what must we do? Put a guard upon our mouths, the Scripture says. If we have to, uh, put a zipper on it and a lock on it. Make another step that you have to take before you actually say that word. See, too often our mouth is unguarded. You know, a lot of guns will have a safety on it, right? And what does that safety mean? It means it's at least one step you have to make before you shoot somebody. That you should think before you make that irreversible move of shooting somebody. See, you have to take that safety off before you do that. Some of them got a hammer, you got to cock that hammer. It's a step that you have to take. You know, when it comes to our mouth, it's too often unguarded, and it just, whatever comes to our mind, comes out. And we just, bleh, and we're judgmental, and we're envious, and jealous, and backbiting, and all these things that God tells us not to do. You know why we do those things? Because we don't love. It all starts, really, it all starts with God loving us and us loving Him. When that relationship's right, this relationship is better. But when this relationship is wrong, how in the world are we ever going to succeed this way if we're not going to succeed this way? And you can blame it on whoever you want to. And we do, don't we? I mean, we are, we are, we are Adam through and through. We are Adam through and through. It's that woman thou hast given to me. And we blame it on our circumstances and our parents and our, and our children. And we blame, it on our, you know, we blame it on our environment. We blame it on our, you know, the, 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 you know, our sister that never gave back that pan. We blame it on the color of the carpet that we didn't get to pick. And we, all the stuff we, we blame it on. But here's the bottom line. If our relationship here isn't right, it's not God's fault. I mean, I hope we can agree on that. It's never God's fault. So if our relationship here isn't right, something's wrong here. Not not there. And by the way, the same is true here. If if something here relationship-wise is wrong, if you're not doing everything you can, it, it, it stems from you. You can't do their part. If if me and if me and me and mother brother Mike were at each other's throats, and I was talking about him behind his back, and he was talking about me behind my back, and and our and our relationship starts to splinter, I can't do brother Mike's part. I can't make brother Mike get right with the Lord, but I can do something about myself. I can make sure that my mouth is right. I can make sure that my heart is right. I can make sure that my decisions and the things that I do are pure. Now, that relationship may never mend because Brother Mike's stubborn and he doesn't, you know, I can pick on Brother Mike. Because I can't make him. Here's the problem with relationships. We're always trying to do somebody else's part. 
Stop doing their part. You can't do their part. But let me tell you what it is. We're really not trying to do their part. We're just trying to make an excuse. If they would apologize, then I would apologize. If they'll get right with the Lord, then I'll get right with the Lord. But, but why isn't the other way around? We've received love. Let's take that love and share it with others. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never experienced that love, the love of Jesus Christ. I want you to know it's in other places other than John 3.16. God loves you and He loves you supremely. He loves you sacrificially. While, listen, the scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you. Have you placed your faith and trust in Him? Stop playing games. Stop wishing. Stop, stop this idea of, well, I'm not sure... Be sure of your salvation. 1 John 5 tells us that we can know that we have eternal life. Place your faith and trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins and get it settled. Stop putting it off. Stop worrying about everybody else and start worrying about where you will spend eternity. You say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure if I die right now, I'd go to heaven to be with God, and I'm concerned about that. Would you pray for me? Just slip your hand up this morning, right back down, and I'll pray for you. Nobody's looking around. I just want to pray for you by need. I wouldn't embarrass you in any way. You say, preacher, I'm not sure about my salvation. Please remember me. Here's my hand. Slip it up and right back down this morning. Isn't it great to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Isn't it wonderful to be saved? To have our sins forgiven? What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? What are you doing with your life? What are you doing in your church? What are you doing with your relationships? Let's take the love that God has loved us with and love one another. I promise you, it'll make a difference in every area of your life. Let's stand together, head bowed, eyes closed, instruments playing this morning. A hymn invitation. Can I invite you to come? Lord, help me to be who you've called me to be. Help me to be who you need me to be. Help me to love. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's what the scripture says. Love will strengthen a relationship. Hate, envy, and jealousy will destroy it. Your choice. You choose. Love or to not love. It's up to you. If you need to come, as the instruments play this morning, you come.